Good morning. Merry Christmas. The countdown's on. It's a week away. Is everybody ready? No? All the shopping's not done. All the baking's not done. You better hurry. There's only seven days left. Did you know at one point the church actually banned the term Merry from Christmas and changed it to Happy Christmas? It's true. They were concerned that the term Mary might lead us to too much eggnog. So the church says, no, let's don't say Mary. We don't want to give the wrong idea. There's lots of wrong ideas about Christmas, right? Most times when Justin gives me the opportunity to bring the word, I'm on my own. Sometimes he gives me a topic. This time he gave me a topic. The joy of Christmas. And in God's providence, Justin had no idea, but God worked on me when I began to study the topic of the joy of Christmas. Because my wife will tell you I can become a Scrooge and a Grinch. I mean, don't get me wrong. The celebration that we're here to celebrate, I'm all about. I like the Christmas trees and the lights. I just don't want to have to put the Christmas tree and the lights up, right? And as I get older, more and more every year, I beg Gloria, let's, let's not do that no more. I'm working myself to death. I don't want to, you know, this is not worth it anymore. So if we're not careful this time of the year, we fill our lives with a lot of traditions that are traditions of man, family traditions. Not necessarily wrong. There's not necessarily anything wrong with what we're doing, except for the fact that it takes our eyes off this Christ, what we're supposed to be focused on. I learned a lot of things about Christmas. We have a lot of conversations from time to time about, well, should we do this or that? That's pagan. This is pagan. We shouldn't be, you know, is it okay to do this? Turns out if you study these things out, you'll come to realize that it was the church that as they preached the gospel and brought pagans to Christ, when pagans became Christians, they brought their pagan traditions with them, and it was the church that transformed those things over to Christianity. So if you look back through history, you can find pagan traditions that are mixed in maybe with our celebration of Christ, our celebration of the birth of Christ. It was interesting that all these pagans, while serving the false god, still had the celebration at the same time of year we do. They may have been worshiping the sun god, but they did it right around December 25th. I also learned the most important lesson. If I can find it, I'm going to read it to you. Santa Claus. The name Santa Claus is derived from the Dutch name for St. Nicholas. Santa Claus. While the modern Santa Claus is associated with fictional character, the historical St. Nicholas was revered figure known for his charitable acts and generosity. St. Nicholas was born around A.D. 280 in Patara, Asia Minor, 
to wealthy Christian parents who prayed for their child. He was devoted from God from a young age after losing his parents to a plague. Nicholas inherited their wealth and chose to use it for honorable purposes. Nicholas later became the Archbishop of Myra, displaying remarkable wisdom, maturity, and continuing in his acts of kindness. During his service, he faced persecution and likely imprisonment from his, for his Christian faith. And during a challenging period of eight years of persecution under emperors Diocletian and Galerius. Most of you may not know, but if you know anything about church history, there's no point in history where Christians were persecuted more than under these two emperors. They literally persecuted Christians to the point that the pagans begged them to stop doing it. It was embarrassing. That's how bad Christians were treated under these two emperors. So our St. Nicholas was imprisoned by these guys. With the advent of religious freedom under the emperor Constantine, Christians faced new challenges, including doctrinal disputes. Constantine convened the Nine-Scene Council in 325 A.D. to address these issues, where Nicholas of Myra was one of the bishops in attendance, contributing to the development of the Nicene Creed. Thus, the historical St. Nicholas left a lasting legacy of faith, charity, and unity in the Christian tradition. St. Nicholas is most famous for his extraordinary acts of generosity and charity. One well-known story tells how he helped a poor man with three daughters who were unable to afford their dowries. St. Nicholas provided bags of gold to the man, secretly delivering them through a window or down a chimney, depending on the version of the story. So mom, dad, grandpa, the answer is yes. Right? When they ask, the answer is yes. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census was to be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The reason for this information is the birth of Christ is a historical fact. It's not fiction. It's not make-believe. It is verified by our scripture that we put all our trust and faith in. It is also verified by Jewish and Roman historians. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was, engaged, who was engaged to him and was with child, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Translation, our Savior, our Christ, was born in the sheep barn and laid in the feeding trough. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I want to focus on this great joy. What is the joy of Christmas? Why is it that this is such an important thing? We get lost in the parties and the presents and the lights. What are we really what are we really celebrating? What's really took place? First thing we need to understand, this great joy that it speaks of, the Greek word is kara. We tend to mix and confuse joy with happiness. They're not the same thing. I had a cheeseburger for dinner last night. Makes me happy. You can tell, right? I like a lot of things on my cheeseburger. Lots of things on that cheeseburger makes me happy. Does mayonnaise on the cheeseburger make me happy? It does not. My cheeseburger, is, that's not a happy place no more. So happiness is subjective. Your happiness depends on your circumstances, your personal likes, dislikes. That's your happiness. Put hot sauce on it, grown man ketchup, I'm happy. We can put that on shoe leather. I can stay happy. Put no mayonnaise on the shoe leather. I'm not happy anymore. Joy is objective. It's not subjective to your circumstances. This great joy, this Greek word, the kara, that is used here is more than we're just joyous because a child was born. The, t the tense and the way that it is used in the Greek language says it is the joy. Christ is our joy. It is the source of our joy. Not simply because he was born, but because he is. Right? So it's a promise. It's a guarantee. If you're a Christian in here this morning, the morning Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, was born, you were guaranteed joy. You only lose it when you take your eyes off Christ. When you start worrying about what the Christmas tree looks like or how many presents are under it or if the cake rises or if the ham tastes good, that's your happiness. You've done that to yourself. Christ was born. It's a historical fact, and you've been given joy. We have nothing to be sad about. We won, right? Amen? He was born. He's ours. We've got it. This is where it's going to get interesting. Y'all ain't never heard a Christmas message pre preached from Genesis and Revelation, but we're about to do it. McKinney may never let me up here again. So what really happened when Christ was born? What really took place? You see, we get wrapped up in all our traditions that may be well and okay, but it distracts us from what's really going on. So go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You don't necessarily have to turn there. Most of you know the story, right? Our great, 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 great granddaddy, our federal agent, sinned. When he sinned, we all sinned. We're all sinners. We're born sinners. What's the other thing that happened in the fall? God says to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, kill you. You shall bruise him on the hill. Just a little battle scar. That's all it amounts to. Right? So right from the beginning, we've got two issues here that we can't take care of ourselves. We're sinners. We can't save ourselves. And if you read on, not only has the serpent been put under a curse, but man and woman has been placed under a curse, as well as the earth that we live on. Everything's cursed because Adam sinned. We, have, we don't have a solution for that. We don't have a solution for that. We can't fix those things. Now, if we go over to Revelation 12, again, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but it says a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Contrary to popular belief, the book of Revelation is not about the future. The book of Revelation is about what has happened, what is happened, and what will happen. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This child is Jesus Christ. And Satan's there. Why is Satan there? Go back to Genesis and our problems. One of the first reasons, four reasons, one of the first ones Christ was born that we need to remember. He's the cure to the curse. The morning Christ was born and they put him in the feeding trough, we had a cure for the curse that we could not cure ourselves of. Reason number two that we celebrate and we should be full of joy because he is our Savior. We have been saved from our sins. We couldn't do that for ourselves. Christ had to come. God in the flesh. He's the answer. He's our Savior. It's in his name. Jesus. Salvation. Old Testament meant Yahweh is salvation. A Savior was born, right? We sing it in our songs. You ever stop and think about what it meant? Or are we busy putting lights on the tree and eating red velvet cake? Boy, I make a three-day coconut cake this week. I ought to sell y'all pieces of it next week. When Christ was born, they also called him Emmanuel. This is reason number three. Think back to all your Old Testament stories. Think about the first Moses God sending them out. Moses tells God, if you won't, if you're not going with us, then don't send us out. Think of all your stories through the Old Testament where God promised to go with the people or the people begged God to go with them. Well, on Christmas morning, when God in the flesh came and Jesus was born, 
Emmanuel came. Do you know what that means? There's nowhere you go, Christian. There's no time in your life for eternity forever that God is not with you. That should bring great joy to your heart. We've got a cure to the curse. We've got a Savior from our sins, and God is with us all the time. Amen? Don't get any better than that. He fulfills all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, including that of the seed of the woman. Let's go back to the seed of the woman. You see, in Genesis, God tells us that there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So if you start from that point and go forward all the way through your Bible, all the way through to Revelation, you will find this conflict. There is always someone opposed to the man of God. There is always this battle between seed of the woman, the godly man, the promised seed, the man which the seed, the seed will come from, and the serpent. Satan knew the morning he was cursed, or the afternoon, we don't know, in the garden that he lost. But he's so full of himself. He's so arrogant that he still thinks, if I can just keep that baby from being born, I still got a chance. And all through the Old Testament up to this point, you can follow that story. Every time God raises up a prophet, there's a seed of the serpent to oppose him. Take Israel captive, send them off, seed of the serpent to oppose them. Spiritual war all the way through. And then guess what happened? That baby was born. That baby was born. Now Satan knows that he's lost. He's lost. Because he knows once he's born, he's going to live righteous life, a perfect life. We get to receive that righteousness. Joy, joy. That's joy, great joy. You're counted righteous because that baby was born and he lived that life. So what's Satan's next move? Now he wants to kill him. Guess what? He finally kills him. We win anyway. Imagine that. Right? Imagine that. You see, when we keep our eyes on Christ, and the incarnate God and, and, and the birth of Christ, we can avoid those times when our Christmas tree doesn't look like we think it should or when there's not enough money in the bank, which I, that's got to be common. See, I, I, we went to the grocery store yesterday. I'm not going back. I'm telling you, I'm not going back. It's a good thing the fast is coming because I'm not going to buy no more groceries. It ain't happening. But that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter because I'm still going to be joyful. I'm joyful because God's Emmanuel is with me. He came, church. He was born. And your promised victory, your promised salvation, your promised joy. You have no reason to walk around gloomy. So what does it look like? You want to see what it looks like? If you were here yesterday as these children run around playing, you've seen what the joy of Christmas looks like. Not only that, because kids are happy because they got stuff, right? Candy and cookies and toys. But I've seen men and women, grown men and women, here to serve, and the joy of the Lord shone through them as they did 
what they did. That's what joy of Christmas was like. Why is it important? We get two times a year, twice a year, the whole world is looking at us. Twice. Christmas and Easter. We actually have national holidays that are ours. As Christians, those are ours. Right? So even, in, even the atheist has no choice. He doesn't even know that he's doing it. He's taking part in a celebration, just like the pagans of old did, right? Just like the pagans of old when the church, same thing. So why is this joy so important? Because Gloria's fixing to tell on me. When you go to the Walmart and they run you over while you're trying to buy your Christmas ham and you lose your happiness and forget to show joy, they're watching you. They're watching you. You run around claiming to be Christian. This is one of two times a year where it's yours. This is, your, this is our chance. Go show them joy. Don't let Satan take you. He can't take it. He just tricks you. It's promised to you. God gave it to you. But when you start worrying about Christmas trees and hams and cookies and parties and, you know, that leads to sometimes, for some of us, unhappy times, right? See, there's a lot of anxiety involved in Christmas. There's a lot of uh, temptation, right? Some of us are tempted to go farther in debt than we are to be. Some of us are tempted to eat more than we should. Some of us have given up habits that suddenly we show up at Christmas parties and there's that habit in front of us so easily presented to us and ready to go. Don't let Satan trick you. Live the next week joyfully because Christ was born. You've been set free from all those things. Your curse has been cured. You've been saved. The promised seed has come, and he's won the battle. Amen? We have to be careful. I brought up these pagan traditions that are mixed in just for the point that we have liberty, right? We know that we don't live under law, but we do have to be careful. We have to be careful that our freedom during Christmas and even in our joy, we don't turn that to covetousness, right? Don't want more than you need. Don't want what somebody else has got. Be happy with what God gave you. And go spread it to the world. Remember our, you know, we talk about it as a church all the time. They're watching us. Go give the world the great joy that was proclaimed by the angels this next week. We have to be careful that we don't turn these things into idols also, right? Those are cautions for us. It's a happy, happy time. Not a happy time, a joyful time. See, it's easy to confuse. Live joyous, live joyous this next week. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World. Not Christmas song. Glory will tell you what my favorite Christmas song is. I don't know that it's suitable for I mean, it's not bad. I'm not running around listening to terrible stuff, you know. But one of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World. Isaac Watts wrote it back in the 1700s. And it is mostly taken from Psalm 98. There are a couple of lines that come from Psalm 96, but for the most part, that hymn is based on Psalm 98. We're going to finish... I want to read that psalm to you. 
This is uh, God's scriptural answer to that psalm. This is how we should live our lives the next week because we've been cured from the curse. We've been saved from our sins. You know, one of the terms that in Isaiah, when they prophesied of the birth of Christ, one of the names they gave him was Mighty Warrior. That's the Mighty Warrior, the seed that's won the battle. Psalm 98 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. That's what happened Christmas morning. That's what happened at the birth of Christ. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Shout joyfully, church. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, of, King the Lord. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Before the Lord, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your holy and precious word. Most of all, God, we thank you for the ultimate Christmas gift. We thank you for sending your only begotten son, wrapping him in flesh so that he may be our Savior, so that God may be with us for all of eternity. We thank you for the battles that were won the morning that that baby was born. I pray, Lord, that we remember this next week, that we remember Jesus. We know that the Christmas tree and the lights and the food and the parties and the fellowship and the love, it's all good. But God, remind us Jesus and remind us to show and share that joy that you promised, that source of joy, that we would share it with the world that they may know that Christ, Emmanuel, a Savior, was born on Christmas morning. And it is in his holy and righteous and powerful name we pray. Amen.